The reading this morning comes from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had, not, they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you again and great to be able to share with you from the Bible today. My name's Rob and I've been uh, teaching about worship since last week. We were doing a four-week series about worship and this week we're going to think about worship that's responsive to God. It must have been a terrible shock to the people of Israel to hear God say this to them. I hate your worship. The book of Isaiah begins in this way and uh, it tells about Isaiah's call to be a prophet of God in flashback, not until chapter 6 and instead it begins with Isaiah's words and they are deeply shocking, troubling words for anyone who would like to be a worshipper of God. Listen to the way that God talks to his people. Reading from verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. It's not a very auspicious beginning, is it? The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. God tells them he hates their worship and the reason is because they are a violent people. They're violent and unjust. 
their injustice is so great they engage in violence against each other and even murder. It's a terrifying thing to hear God say to his people that he is disregarding their prayers and he hates their worship. And the reason is because they're disregarding what God has told them, how he wants them to live, his law for them, which was meant to create a community of justice and mercy and kindness and so on, but they are full of murder and greed and exploitation. In other places, we hear about Israel worshipping other gods, worshipping idols, relying on other nations, being immoral, being greedy and so on. In various ways, they turn their back on God, they don't listen to his word, and so their worship... Their gathered worship, the things that they do in terms of offering sacrifices and things, actually become offensive to God. He hates it. And this just alerts us to a really important issue in worship, and that is that worship begins with listening to God. Truly responsive worship is about a response to God, which hears God's word, and responds to God by living in the way that God wants us to. And it's completely useless to worship God in this way when we're gathered together if we don't worship God in the rest of our lives. Uh, It becomes something that he hates. So this is a major, major challenge to us. And it's been actually a challenge from the beginning of the Bible story and the story of worship, which we heard a bit about last week. That from the beginning, of course, God speaks to his people, and that his speaking calls for a particular response, that God's word outlines what he wants from us in our lives and uh, that we are called to live within the boundaries of that. God shows us what he wants us to do. And so there, even in the garden story, you have God's instruction to the man and the woman. You may eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So immediately there's an issue there about listening and responding. Are they going to heed God's word? No, they don't. And humanity slips into false worship. God calls the people of Israel to be his worshipping people. And you may remember, if you know the story of the Exodus, again and again, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and say, let the people of Israel go so that they can worship God in the wilderness. So worship is really on the agenda right from the beginning there, again and again. Let them go that they can worship me in the wilderness, God says. And so when they get out into the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai, God commissions them to be his worshipping people. You're going to be a nation of priests. And then what does he do? He gives them his Ten Commandments. He begins to speak to them about the kind of people that they're going to be. To be a nation of priests and a worshipping community won't just mean that they have ceremonies of worship and sacrifices and so on. Yes, they're going to have that. But it's actually going to be a whole life of worship. And God's word is going to instruct them in what kind of community, what kind of worshipping community they're going to be. Again, the people almost immediately fail to listen to God and to heed what he says because straight away they're worshipping an idol a golden calf, and falling into immorality rather than living in the way that God called them to. Straight away, they're failing to be the responsive worshippers that they should be. When King David comes on the scene, 
he calls the people of Israel back to the worship of God. And that's what we heard in our reading from Psalm 95. And uh, this is a great song that David wrote. And basically, it's a call to worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So here is a call to the people of Israel to be worshippers of God. And it's a joyful, wonderful song of let's get together and let's worship God. It speaks about God as the creator of the world. He is the one who made the world. He is the one who made us. So we should worship God, our creator. So David's calling them back to the worship of the Lord God who made the world. But he also reminds them that God is their shepherd, that they are God's sheep, the sheep of his pasture, that God has rescued them and made them his own people and that God cares for them as a shepherd. So God is to be praised as a saviour, a shepherd who saves as well. So this is all very wonderful. Uh, it's, a, it's a very joyful, encouraging song. But then suddenly, did you, I don't know if you noticed this, it changes there in verse 8. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. And he reminds them of an incident way back in the story of Israel again, back in the wilderness days when the people of Israel did not listen to God and put God to the test and it was a disaster. And God said of those people, they shall never enter my rest. What a downer. What a way to finish the song. It, was just, it started off so positively. It was so beautiful. Let's worship God. Let's sing. It's wonderful. And then today, make sure you listen to God's voice and reminds them of how the people of Israel went wrong in the past. These two elements of the song are so jarring that some people just reckon it's just two songs kind of haphazardly cobbled together. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Why this beautiful call to worship and then this really severe warning to listen to God? But I think David knew exactly what he was doing, writing the song. To be a worshipping people and to be a, a people who sing and praise God and all of that means that you also have to be a people who listen to what God says. Listen to his voice, listen to his law, and so on. So this song, uh, Psalm 95, has actually been used as a call to worship now for about 3,000 years. And uh, when I was 18, I, uh, a friend of mine started to take me along to an Anglican church. And I had grown up in another denomination where we didn't really have much, by the way, of repeated song repeated words and liturgy and that kind of thing we just used to have what we used to call a hymn sandwich you know it was a hymn and then something and then a hymn and then something and then, um, but then when I went to started going to this Anglican church and we had a, a liturgy uh, every week we began by saying Psalm 95 together and it's still there in the Anglican prayer book today Sunday morning Psalm 95 every week and so I found this very strange, that we would get together and we would say this old song, Psalm, and why Psalm 95? I mean, we, we skipped over 94 and we just 
we would say 95 every week. What about what was in the other ones? I, I didn't know. But anyway, for some reason, Psalm 95. Why every week? Every week, Psalm 95. Well, whoever put the prayer book together thought it was important that we start uh, thinking about worship in the terms of, that this psalm lays down. That, okay, we're going to be people who praise God, we're going to sing, we're going to give thanks, we're going to remember our Creator, we're going to remember our Saviour. But all that singing and all that praise and everything actually amounts to nothing if we don't hear His voice. And you've got to hear His voice today. That's what David said, today. God is speaking to us today. And we have to hear His voice. That the, the words of the Bible, the words of the scripture are a living word that the Holy Spirit makes it God's word to us today. God is speaking to us right now and we have to pay attention. It's crucial that we pay attention. David wrote uh, quite a number of songs and he wrote one, he wrote, he wrote quite a few about his own experience. And another psalm that I just want to draw your attention to is Psalm 40 where David talks about his experience of being rescued by God, how he was, was like he was in a deep pit and God raised him up out of it and lifted him up and set his feet on firm foundation on a rock. And um, David shares his experience of God's rescue and salvation. And then, as he does in a number of places, David says, and so now I'm going to be a worshipper. I'm going to worship God. And again, David lays out what, what's really, what really matters when it comes to worship. And let me read to you a little bit of what, about what he says here from Psalm 40, starting at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll, I desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. David says, my worship's not going to be about sacrifices and offerings and that, that ritual of offering animals to God. But actually what God has done, David says, is he has, what does he say, my ears, you have, literally he says, God, you have dug me an ear. Dug me an ear. That's, that's an earthy kind of image, as if you know, we need we needed an ear to be to really hear God. We needed God to dig ears for us, to dig new ears. David has an ear, and he has come to do God's will. It's not going to be about sacrifices and offerings. It's going to be going to be about doing God's will, doing doing God's law, living God's law from the heart. And so here David sets out a new agenda for worship. But though David himself actually in some ways doesn't follow through on this, he himself also fails to truly listen to God. And Israel, as we've heard from Isaiah 1, also failed. But Jesus comes, as we heard last week, to be the true worshipper. To be the true worshipper. He's the true worshipper and he enables us to worship God through him as well. But in terms of this theme, Jesus shows us that responsiveness to God's word 
which is so crucial when it comes to worship. Looking back on the story of Jesus, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews actually quotes from Psalm 40. And he says, when you read Psalm 40, that's actually Jesus talking. That's, That's not David talking, that's Jesus talking. Listen to what he says. Uh, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus came into the world, the writer says, saying Psalm 40. Jesus came into the world to be the one who really does do God's will is really truly responsive to God, his heavenly father, is really obedient to God's word. And so actually, you think back on the Gospels, you do see this, that Jesus exhibits this kind of responsiveness, this kind of open-earedness to God in the way that he lives his life. If you go right back uh, in the story of Jesus, we have one incident of Jesus as a child. Do you remember this in Luke chapter 2? Luke tells us that the boy Jesus uh, got left behind um, in Jerusalem when the family went and uh, they eventually found him in the, in the temple talking with the teachers of the law about the meaning of the law. Jesus, even as a teenager uh, or 12-year-old, was learning God's law and working out what it meant and how to put it into action in his life. That's very interesting that that's the only thing we know about Jesus' childhood. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan, we see him three times tempted and three times replying to the devil in terms of what God's law says. Jesus has internalized the law of God and when he is tempted, he is able to speak that law back to Satan in response to the temptation. We see Jesus constantly quoting from the scriptures throughout his ministry and explaining what he's doing and what is going on and what is happening amongst his opponents and so on. What we see is Jesus exhibiting a genuine human obedience to God based on knowing what is in the scriptures. And when Jesus is crucified, in that time of agony... And pain, Jesus calls out to God and the words that he uses comes from the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of agony, Jesus calls on the words that he has taken deeply into his life and speaks them to God. So Jesus is the one with the open ears. Jesus is the one who comes Uh, as the truly responsive worshipper. He hears God's word and puts it into action in his life. And of course, Jesus also teaches us how to worship as well. So this is the basic idea. To be a true worshipper of God, to be a responsive worshipper, means to listen to God, to listen to God's word, and to put it into action in your life. How can we do that? Uh, I've got six brief ideas about this. The first one, I think, is to pray, and this might seem a strange thing to say if, you, if it's important to be a listener, but 
to begin by praying and saying to God, please dig an ear for me. Please soften my heart. Uh, Please help me to be ready to hear and to obey. Please humble me and help me to respond to your word. Please give me a great hunger to hear your word and feed on it. Please give me that desire to know what you are saying to me today. Because it really begins with a change of heart. Uh, not, not just, oh, we need to listen more, read our Bible more, but that, that we be people who want to hear from God, to ask him to change our hearts. If the warning is to, to not harden our hearts, then the opposite would be to ask God to soften our hearts. The second thing would be to just check our attitude to God's word. Because you can be someone who has the Bible in your life in some ways, but you're not really wanting to hear it and you're not really wanting to heed it. The Bible can be a source of inspiration. You know, you might find inspirational thoughts or ideas in it. Uh, but in some ways that would mean the Bible is not a whole lot different from one of those, you know, 365-day calendars with an, you know, a, an inspirational thought or a little meme for you every day. Or it might be that you, know, you, look at, you look to the Bible to kind of confirm the things that you think are important. You find in there confirmation for your plans or your dreams or your hopes. But that's a bit different from actually coming to the Bible humbly, allowing God to speak to you and change your life. But this would be at the very heart of a life of worship. Uh, I've been listening to a new album by Weezer. Do you know Weezer? Yeah, this is back in ancient history, right? Weezer, Weezer were a band. They're still going, and their new album is okay. It's the, it's the Black album. Uh, one of the songs is called this, though, I, I'm Just Being Honest. I'm just being honest. And the chorus goes like this. Um, so here we go. Don't get mad at me. I'm just being honest. I should have lied, but now you're mad at me. I'm just being honest. And it just uh, has this series of scenarios where, this, where the songwriter is, uh, says things and he tells the truth and it just gets him in trouble with people. And that, so the chorus is, oh, look, I was just being honest. Now, actually, I think this is a classic guy strategy to say, I was being honest as just some kind of cover for your own insensitive remarks. It's probably true. Uh, there's one verse that goes like this. Uh, it's, this is the, in, in the context of a, some kind of romantic relationship. I walk in the bedroom. You were standing there. You turned around and smiled at me and I said, you just cut your hair. But then I told you, I thought you looked better before. And you said, hope you like sleeping on the floor. Uh, And it goes into the chorus again. So here we go. Don't get mad at me. I'm just being honest. I should have lied. But now you're mad at me. I'm just being honest. And then into a little bridge that says this. How about from now on, you write the script. I'll read the lines. You write the script. I'll read the lines. This is, uh, well, I I think that the relationship is in real trouble at this point. (laughs) But it's uh, this this idea that, okay, if if what I say is offensive, then you you just tell me what to say. 
uh, and and I'll say it. Okay, well, that's probably not a great dynamic in uh, in a relationship. But the point is this, that in, in our relationship with God, is God allowed to be honest with us? Is God allowed to be honest? Or are there things that God is not allowed to say to you and me? There are, things that, are there things that God is not allowed to say? Uh, and we can have this attitude to God's word, which is, God, you're not allowed to speak to me about that. That your word is not authoritative in that area of my life. And I'm not going to listen to you about that. So checking our attitude to God is actually saying, well, am I really open to God shaping every aspect of what I believe and how I live? Or actually, in some ways, am I saying to God, no, I'll write the script for you. I'll write the script and don't you tell me. Uh, the third thing is let the, let the Bible impact every area. So if worship is about our whole life offered to God, then we need to actually let every aspect be open to God's word. Our motivations, what we do and say, who we are, our plans and dreams and hopes, and especially uh, what our idols might be. That God's word is going to show us and alert us to the things that we worship, which are false gods, and giving up those false gods and giving up that false worship is going to be one of the most difficult things over time in terms of becoming true worshippers. But actually letting God speak to us about every part of our life allows us to confront those things and shape our whole lives as worship of him. The fourth thing is to try to keep Bible reading and prayer together. And the reason for this is because if we want our lives to be responsive worship to God, actually, it's really good to hear God's word regularly, yes, but also to immediately respond to what God is saying to us. So that there's just a strong sense of responsiveness and interaction as God speaks to us, we then speak to him in return. So that God sets the agenda of our prayers, of our praise and thanksgiving and requests and our confession that God is actually the one who is setting the, setting the agenda there and we are responding to him. And this is why Christians have found it so useful to try to set a time aside each day or as often as possible for both reading God's word and then responding to it straight away. It actually prepares us and comes at the, at the centre of a life of worship. The fifth thing, I think, is to come to church our gathered worship together expecting to respond to God, that God is going to speak to us, that God's word is going to be a word for us today and that we are going to respond to him when we gather together and so that our time together is going to be genuinely interactive, a genuine meeting together with God where God speaks to us and we respond to him. And this is, will happen in various ways through the service, that there will be god's word to us at different moments it might be that there's a a sentence of the bible at the very start of when we meet together that calls our attention to something important about our relationship with god or it might be the word that comes to us when we confess our sins and then there's a bible verse which assures us that god is forgiving us or which calls us to confess our sins to god 
There's the Bible reading itself. There's the psalm that we say together. There's the sermon which proclaims God's word to us. And then, of course, there's the sacraments, the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are kind of like visible words. They're sort of like God's word in the Bible acted out for us or presented to us in these, in these signs. And in these, God is showing us the truth about the gospel and ministering to us, and we are responding to him. And so a, a whole life of worship will have at its centre our gathered worship on Sunday where God speaks to us and we respond to him. And finally, let the, let the word of the gospel motivate your worship. If worship is a genuine response to God and his word, then at, at its heart, God's word is not just instructions for how to live, but a message about God's grace and mercy to us in Jesus. That God at great cost to himself has generously provided a saviour for us. And this good news calls us to respond to him. That it will actually be easier to live a life of worship and it can be done much more joyfully when it's a life of worship that's responding to God's amazing kindness to us in Jesus. Truly worshipping God in our lives means listening. Worship begins with our ears. So let's be people who respond to God wholeheartedly with soft hearts in worship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you so much that you are the maker of all things and the saviour of all people. You are worthy of our worship and we pray that we would be able to worship you with our whole lives. And so we do ask that you would please give us soft hearts, that you would give us open ears, that we would respond to you and live our whole lives and present our whole lives to you in worship as your word shapes our lives. We pray that your Holy Spirit would please be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.